again today, I welcome you to the B-Tip Show. We're studying Bible prophecy and we're doing it kind of in a unique way. Matter of fact, we come today to the mysteries of God. And we saw that this is explaining the, the plan of God and the promises of God that were made a long time ago. And he saw fit to not only make those plans and promises then, but he saw fit to unveil them, to reveal them, to show the mystery of the surprise of them. And we're in part seven, but really less than three of part seven. We've been looking at all 11 mysteries of God. And we're on the 10th one, the kingdom of God in heaven. And you know, this is, uh, I think, so important because it talks about God's overall plan. And so the last couple of weeks, we've been studying the parables. The Bible says, Jesus' own words say, these are the mysteries of the kingdom of God. In other words, through these parables, he was teaching something way beyond just the, the day that he was in. And so we've studied four of them so far. And I think the four are really the, the bedrock of the teachings of Christ and the parables throughout the Gospels. Remember, we looked at one time about the, the parable of the sowers and the seed. And, uh, and, and I really should say the sowers and the soil because the sower was Jesus Christ. And the seed was the good word of God, the Gospel. But there were various conditions of the soil and therefore there was various fruitfulness of the seed. And we live today in a time when you see the, the Word of God goes forth and sometimes people have a quick response. They were like the, the people that, that grew up with the, the rocks. There was no depth, there was nothing to it. When the sun came, they were gone. And some, even the, they had no soft heart at all. The, the birds stole the seed away. But thank God there were good seeds that went into good soil and there was fruit. And then remember we saw the parable of the wheat and the tares. It talked about the judgment that will come at the end of the age. You see, these teachings often were about pretenders and real. The difference between those who were religious and those who were born again. And you know, the same problem exists today and may even be more prevalent today because sitting in our churches are a lot of pretenders. Thank God there are some that are true believers. And so this is a lesson that the real believers, the wheat that had fruit, that had a head, it was hard to tell them from a tear. They looked the same, but at the harvest, remember, one was harvested for, for the barn of heaven, and one was harvested for the fires of hell. And then we saw the parable of the mustard seed. And what, a, what an incredible lesson the Lord taught about massive outward growth, but it was destructive. It was destructive because the, the foul birds, the evil birds, the, the fowls of the devil, could be in the branches and they could hinder any animal that would come under that tree for protection or for food, the birds would, would then prey on them. And then he taught the lesson concerning leaven, inward perversion that pollutes the whole loaf. And so this is the idea of Christendom, massive external growth but really nothing for God. And leaven, it permeated the whole loaf. One was outward, one was inward, but the result was the same destructive power. So today, we want to come to a, a new aspect of the parables that Christ taught, and we want to come to three objects that I think will be very interesting for us to consider. Let's go to, to Matthew chapter 13 again. By the way, all of our parables so far have been found in Matthew 13 to show you how important that chapter is. And as we come to the lesson today, one of the parables is about a treasure. The mystery is a, a treasure. And one, the mystery is a merchant man. And one, the mystery was a, a, about a dragnet in the sea. And so 
three very distinct things, one an object, one a person, one an object. But you see, the point of Jesus teaching this way, the disciples said, why do you teach this way? They, they didn't ask it on one occasion, they asked it on several occasions. And he said, because, because really the true message is not revealed yet. And so today we have that great opportunity to come and to look at these things. Notice this, that in only eight verses, all three of these parables are displayed. And, and really the first parables, wow, they, they were, some of them were eight verses or ten verses all by themselves. And so we want to look at each of these stories. We're going to get the story and then we'll go and look for the meaning and the spiritual application. The first one that we're going to look at is the treasure. Matter of fact, it's summed up in just one verse. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a treasure hid in a field. Then, when a man hath found it, he hides it, and for the joy thereof goes and sells all that he has, and he buys the field. So a couple of questions come to mind. And those questions are this. How did the treasure get there? And who does the treasure belong to? You see, that's an area of the world where treasures have been found. Matter of fact, the Dead Sea Scrolls not too long ago were found, and, and they've been hidden for 2,000 years or more. And a treasure was found, and after those treasures were found, wow, everyone ran to the, to the mountains of Judea to, to look for more treasures and more caves, and, and a whole variety of things have been found. Over 20 discoveries have been made in that area of the, where the Dead Sea Scrolls are. But there's also other treasures. Uh, treasures are exciting. I remember several years ago in Florida, off the coast of Florida, they found a, a Spanish vessel, and someone came up with, with uh, gold and silver coins, and wow, people were, were scanning the waters, diving into the waters, hoping to find additional treasures. Or I remember hearing stories about a, a man in England, and almost identical to this, as he was plowing along, he, he plowed into a treasure, and up popped uh, a treasure box that had old dishes that were silver and, and gold dishes, and probably of ro royalty. And who, who's worthy, and when were they put there? No one could, could figure it out. Well, this is a country that was ravaged by war. And so it wouldn't be uncommon for a person to take a personal treasure. Maybe as the enemy got closer, they would take the treasure, they would bury it in the field, saying no one will know when the war is over, I'll come back. When the enemy's gone, I'll come back, I'll retrieve my, my household treasures. So we don't know at this moment who hid the treasure. But here's what we do know. A man found it and then he hid it again. Now, I, I mention this because, you see, I think this is important when we come to the meaning of this important parable concerning the kingdom of God. And here's what the Bible says. The Bible says he sold all that he had and he bought the field. I can't help but think that people probably were laughing at him for doing that. You know, isn't it interesting that the difference between the, the buyer and the seller? I don't care if it's a car or if it's a, or if it's a, a field. But I can see when this man would go to the the, who he thought the owner was, he'd knock on the door and say, you know, I'd like to buy that field. And the farmer would say, oh, my goodness, have I got a sucker now? And he says, well, he says, you know, that's one of my best fields. And the buyer would say, wait a minute, I, I haven't really seen a good crop come out of there in years. He says, well, I know, but that has the potential to, to, to make 200 bushel an acre. And, and so the, the, the seller starts high and the buyer starts low. And, and, but here's what we do know, that eventually, this man who was searching for the treasure found the treasure he found it he hid it again he went and he bought the field 
And I can't help but think people laughed at him saying, wow, that guy paid too much for that field because it will never grow a good crop. Will they be surprised later? And then here's the second parable. It's the parable concerning the, the pearl. Again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a merchant man. So the first one was an object, this was a man. This man was seeking goodly pearls, who when he had found one pearl, notice he was looking for pearls, but when he found the, the one that caught his eye, it was a pearl of great price, went, sold all that he had, and he bought it. Again, the object of the search was pearls, and he found one, only one, and it was so beautiful to him, so important to him, it caught his eye so much and his imagination so much that he sells everything to buy one pearl. You see, there's some similarities in these stories, but let me tell you that I think the messages are slightly different. And that's why the interpretation is important and certainly it will apply to today in the world that we live in. And then let's go to the dragnet. In Matthew chapter 13, now we have the story of the dragnet. And it says again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was cast into the sea and gathered every kind of fish, which when it was full, they drew to shore, sat down, gathered the good into the vessels, but the bad he cast away. So shall it be at the end of the age, the angels shall come forth and separate the wicked from among the righteous. That's, that's an exciting story, because you see, this parable is only recorded in the Gospel of Matthew. Remember I told you that, that a few are recorded in three Gospels, but Matthew is the one who records all of them. And this is only recorded in the, in the Gospel of Matthew. I think it's also interesting because you see, at the Sea of Galilee, where Jesus had much of his ministry, it was a great place to fish, especially in those days, but even today. Matter of fact, on our trips to Israel, it's fun to see in the morning, you'll see ships go out and they will have their nets and, and they will bring in fish. And even small fishermen come and they have little nets, gill nets, and they will, they will fish banging along the sides so the fish dart out and get caught in the net. And, um, and so fishing was something, again, that they would see every day. This would be a common sight to these uh, people that were listening to Jesus speak the parables. But notice this, the net brought in good fish and bad fish. What do we mean by good fish and bad fish? Well, where some were edible and some were inedible, or maybe some were clean and some were unclean. You see, the Bible gave rules for the Jewish people that there were certain kinds of fish they could eat. And there were some kind of fish that, that didn't have scales and so on like that. They were the bottom feeders and they were unclean and they shouldn't be eaten. And so what would happen is they would sort the fish, the good ones they would keep, the bad ones, the, the fish that were inedible, they would throw away. But notice this, there were many other fish still left in the water. The net didn't catch them all. And so the interpretation, I think, will have to have this in its mind. Now, Let's take a look at the application of these and we'll take them one by one because now you know the story. Well, the application of the, of the treasure in the field. I think the field is the world. And the reason I say this is because some are saying, well, the treasure must be Christ and, and some say it's, maybe it's the gospel. And because that interpretation is so prevalent, I, I want to spend just a moment on it. First of all, I don't think that's true because you see, why would you hide the gospel and why would you hide Christ? No, I think the hidden treasure, it's those who, who will respond to Jesus Christ. Israel for sure, and maybe it's even a picture of all true believers, but for sure I want to say it's Israel. In other words, this aspect of, 
of Jesus finding the treasure is an important one. Here's why. Because the Bible says in Exodus 19.5, Now therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my commandments, then you shall be a particular, peculiar, particular treasure unto me above all the people of the earth. Wow. How about this one in Psalm? Psalm 135.4 For the Lord hath chosen Jacob unto himself and Israel for his peculiar or his particular treasure. And so we know that the Bible has referred to Israel on several occasions as the treasure. And so here's how come I think this is important. You see, the truth is this. The devil has taken possession of the field or the world. Now, as you look at that parable, it's important to say who owns it? Because did the man steal the treasure? Why did he have the right to the treasure? Ever think about that? Well, yeah, he rightfully bought it, so it would be his. But was he dishonest in not telling the owner that there's a treasure buried there? Well, the devil's taken possession of the field. And, and how did that happen? You see, he took possession because of sin. Do you understand? This is why creation is important. God created the heavens and the earth. God owns it. I mean, if you make it, you own it. And God made it, so he owns it. And then God gave dominion of the earth to man. And man was to have dominion over the, the, the fish of the sea and over the, the fowl of the air and over the beast of the field and, and over the crops in the ground. And then sin came. And when sin came, man lost his dominion and the devil took over the world, took over the field. And so even though God made it and God owned it and he loaned it or gave it to mankind to keep, man lost it to the devil. And so the devil took possession of the field and the world. You see why this is important? Thank God, Jesus Christ has rediscovered the treasure and he bought it. You see how important this would be? And can you imagine how controversial this would be to the, to the Pharisees and the Sadducees? And so here's the conclusion, here's the message of this little parable. Jesus has future plans for Israel and for true believers. How important is that? You see, this whole idea of of uh, kingdom theology, that there's no judgment, that God's just going to bring about a, a turn of good. That, that's not true. There's judgment in almost every one of the parables. Secondly, the idea that, uh, what I'm going to say, replacement theology, that Israel has no place in God's future plan. Nothing could be further from the truth. God says that Israel is my particular, my, my peculiar treasure, important treasure. And so he has a plan. He's rediscovered them. He's put them back on the ground. He'll bring them out again when he's ready for them. How important these are to, to the whole interpretation of the kingdom of heaven messages. And then we go to the pearl, the application of the pearl. It's different. You see here, I think the merchant man is another, none other than Jesus Christ. And I think that the pearl is the true church. Now you see, here's what's interesting. A diamond is not like a pearl. A diamond, if you cut it or fragment it, well, each of the little pieces, fragments of the diamond can be very valuable. They can be used in jewelry. The diamond has value as a big piece, but you can fragment it. You can cut it. There are diamond cutters, and when they cut it, each of those fragments can be used in jewelry, can have value in and of itself. But not so with a pearl. If you cut a pearl, wow, that, that pearl has lost its value its value is greatly diminished. A pearl is needed as the whole thing. You see, here's the conclusion. The merchant bought and owns the pearl, 
but what, what a price he paid for it. You see, Jesus paid for the church. I'm convinced that this pearl is a picture of the church. Remember, Jesus taught in John 10. He said, I've got sheep of this fold, but I've got other sheep. I'm going to bring them into this fold. In other words, he was going to unite the Jews and the Gentiles into one true church. I think the teaching of the kingdom of heaven in Matthew 13 agrees with this idea. So what a price he paid. But how do we know that, that really this is the, the teaching? Well, let me read to you a, a passage in, in Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, it says this. The Apostle Paul says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves, unto all the flock over which the Holy Spirit hath made you overseers. There, there were not overseers in Israel. There were overseers or elders in the church. To feed the church of God, which hath purchased with his own blood. So, the church belongs to God. Sometimes I hear people say, well, my church. And I like to look at their hands and say, wow, I don't see any nail holes there. How, how did you buy the church? Because this says that the church of God was purchased with his own blood. Christ owns the church. Okay, you say, boy, that, that seems like a small... No, it's an important point. Let me go again to, to Matthew 16. And here Jesus says, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. He calls it my church. And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. He was saying, Peter, you're, you're a little pebble. But upon this, you, you wouldn't build a, a church on a pebble. But I think he said, Peter, your name is Rocky. Okay, you're a pebble. But I'm going to build my church on this massive rock, and that massive rock, it was Jesus Christ. And he says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so I see that the meaning of this is that the merchant man, who is Jesus, the treasure was Israel, discovered, bought back from the devil. Here, the pearl. The pearl is a picture of the church, and the merchant man is Christ. And you know what? He bought the pearl. He wanted the pearl so much that he paid a big price for it. And that price was his life. He paid for his life, he paid his blood, and the church and the pearl belongs to him and to him alone. It's the church of Jesus Christ. It belongs to him. And how wonderful to be a, a part of that church, to be a true believer, not a pretend believer, but a true believer. And then we come to the, the parable of the dragnet. What's the meaning of it? Well, I think it's like the end time judgment of the wheat and the tares. Remember, there was a separation time. And that separation came at the end of the age. I think it pictures Christendom, not just true believers. You see, when the net came, the fishermen, the angel fishermen separated because the Bible says the angels separated them. So I call them angel fishermen. They separated the good fish, they call them righteous, from the bad fish, he calls them wicked. Wow. Pretty, pretty strong language, isn't it? And there were still fish in the sea. In other words, when God does his first judgments, as he separates the, the righteous from the unrighteous, you know what? As they go into the millennial kingdom, there will still be people that will be fish in the sea. Because the people, remember, at the end of the millennium, they rebel against Christ. They side with the devil after a thousand years. And so this teaching, I think, is, is really uh, an interesting parable. And so many things could be taught from this. So let's look at the application of it, the conclusion of it. Well, it's this. A great number of fish in the sea are still in the sea, but the judgment will sort out true believers, the good fish, from the pretenders. You know something? We live in a day and a time when I think there's so many pretend Christians. I'm concerned about it. 
because often they give Christianity a bad name. They, they like the teachings of Jesus. They, they even like some of the rules they say of Jesus. They always talk about the fact that, that God is love, but they forget to say that God is holy and God is righteous and that God will judge. And so there are believers who have confessed their sin, repented of their sin, and have received Christ as their personal Savior. They're true believers and there's pretenders. Maybe they like the music at the church, or maybe they just like the friends at the church, or the, or the fellowship dinners at the church, or maybe they like being a member of a, of a big club, of a growing club. Hmm. The trouble is, those people are called pretenders, or they're called bad fish. You see, Christ is talking about the fact that religion, profession, words only, versus true repentance and personal acceptance of Jesus Christ. I think it's a real problem today. That's why he said, you know what, I'm going to give you these parables that speak concerning the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. Because you're going to find out that I knew that would take place. Do you understand that, that Jesus Christ is not fooled by pretend professors? I look at all the churches that are listed. There's even a church of Satan. There's a church of witchcraft. There's a, there's a the, the, the Mormons have a church. I mean, th there are hundreds of churches. There, there's Christian churches trying to combine Christianity and, and Islam. These are not true churches. There's even some who have religious, I mean, some of them are very conservative. Some, may, some th they don't dance and they don't chew and they don't go with boys that do. I mean, they've got all the outward signs, but there's nothing real. It'd be like the Pharisees and the Sadducees. You see, isn't it interesting that very seldom did you see a Pharisee or a Sadducee converted, but Jesus talked to a woman at the well who was a bad moral person, and she was converted to a believer in Jesus Christ. There was a woman caught in adultery, and Jesus dealt with her. I think she came to Christ as salvation, but the accusers, the religious people that, that said this woman's doing something horrible, we don't see them coming to conversion. Jesus said he came not for the well, but for the sick. He came not for the people that were religious, but for those that were sinners to repent and come to salvation. We live in a day and a time when there's religion, profession, words only, versus true repentance and personal acceptance of Jesus Christ. I think sometimes the devil wants people to go to church because they, they become pretend believers and the true acceptance is never there. Let me ask you this. When I ask you today, are you ready? I want to ask you this, are you real? Has there ever been a time that you repented of your sin? Has there ever been a time that, that you said, my sin offends God in his holiness, in his righteousness? And is there then a desire to come and have a, a relationship with Jesus Christ? You know what? He paid a great price for true believers. Just like the man who bought the, the field because he wanted to recover the treasure, just like the, the man who was looking for a pearl and, and he, he saw the pearl and he, he gave all he had for it. Do you understand that Jesus on the cross gave all he had? He gave his life. He died for you. He shed his blood. He died that he might carry the debt penalty for our sin. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. On the cross, Jesus bore my sin. That's how come I can be a Christian today. So let me ask you this. Have you ever admitted to God that you're a sinner? 
if you never have, admit it now. All of sin, the Bible says, and you're part of that. All of sin, admit that you're a sinner. Repent of the sin, turn from the sin. Next, acknowledge that Jesus Christ is your substitute. He took the penalty of sin for you on the cross when he died. He didn't die for his sins, he had none. But he died for my sins, he died for your sins. And then, have you ever personally accepted him? I think a lot of religious people, they, they admit, well, maybe I've done a few things bad and maybe Jesus did die. But there comes a time when they personally accept the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross and they receive Christ. I'm gonna close with, with one of my favorite verses. This is in the Gospel of John, John chapter three, and here's why I say it's one of my favorite verses. This is the very verse that my father read to me the night that I accepted Christ. John chapter three, verse 36. He that believeth on the Son has everlasting life. Notice his present possession. If a person has truly believed that Jesus was who he said he is, you personally have taken him as your savior, then it says you have eternal life. And he that believes not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. You see, we're born in a sinful condition. And until we, until we admit we're a sinner, until we acknowledge that Jesus paid their price, until we personally accept him, we don't have life, but we have the condemnation of God upon us. Let me ask you, the dragnet comes through the sea. It catches good fish and bad fish. Good fish, those who have received Christ, Bad fish, those that are pretenders. Today, if you're a pretender, right now you can go from being a pretender, being religious, to being saved, to being born again, to being part of the true church, to be part of the pearl. Today, would you accept Christ? And if you know Christ, do you see how important it is for us to live for him? Because never before have we seen such a confusion of the wheat and the tares, of the good fish and the, and the bad fish, the clean and the unclean, as we do today. And that says the end of the age is coming and the judgment of God will be upon this world and he will sort out those that are truly born again, truly saved. I want you to be a part of that. I want you to enjoy heaven with Jesus Christ. Would you come to him today? Father, we thank you. We thank you for the word of God. We thank you for the teachings of Jesus. And Father, what a remarkable teacher to take items that these people knew so well, like a fishnet, like the, the leaven and bread, to teach them principles concerning the kingdom of heaven. And Father, we see these things coming true in our, in our life today. And Father, we cannot but think we're very close to the time when Jesus will call out those that are truly saved, that he'll take them out in the rapture of the church. Father, I pray that today some will say, I don't want to be a pretender. I don't want to miss on being raptured with true believers to meet Christ in the air. And even today, they'll come to Christ receive him as their personal savior. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.